0: From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep He gives balm for the soul, baby.
1: Cheating. Cheating. That's what we're diving into, cheating the ugliest thing. One of certainly, if not the ugliest thing that can happen in a relationship, the absolute destructive power of cheating, what it does to trust, what it does to people's sense of confidence, what it does to the residual or the the peripheral players, kids, family, if they find out about it, but especially what it does to the partner who's cheating on. We've got Lindsay in house today. And Lindsay, you recall, uh, is the woman that we were talking about in the last episode with Colin. And Lindsay is Colin's uh, ex fiance, and they are um, still in relation and talking and so forth, but we're hearing her side of it today. And we've heard Colin. Now we're going to hear what Lindsay has to say. Before we bring uh, Lindsay into the studio, though, Rob's going to go ahead and read uh, the background on what Lindsay told us about herself and about the situation.
0: Yes, here is Lindsay's story. Colin and I met about three and a half years ago. I wasn't interested in a relationship, but he caught me a bit off guard and I liked it. Within six months, he asked me to move in, and by that point, I truly believed he had come into my life for a reason, and I still believe this to be true. I love this man. At the two-year mark, he proposed, and I accepted with my whole heart. The wedding was set for this past June. I never questioned where we stood as a couple. I have trauma, as everyone does, and he made me feel safe for the first time ever. I didn't question or doubt him or his loyalty even once. When issues came out, we reached an understanding. We didn't fight. We've both been cheated on in the past, so this is something we both understand well. And then he cheated, six weeks before our wedding. It came out of nowhere. This was not the man I knew. The mindfuck has been unreal. That said, the things we have both learned about ourselves and each other has been the biggest jolt of all. I'm not on the other side of healing from this, and I'd love Sven's take on it. I'm concerned I'm falling back into old bad habits by going back, and it was my abused brain telling me to stick with the bullshit I know, because at least I'd know what to expect. The problem, you see, is this man is different. He wants to talk about it. I have abandonment issues that were buried so deep I couldn't even see them at the time. Normally, my instinct is to run. This time, I want to stay, and that scares me. Lindsay, Lindsay,
1: we welcome you to our show. Thanks so much for coming on the Badass Counseling Show. How are you doing this evening, Lindsay?
2: I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: No, pleasure's completely ours. Very kind of you to be on and to discuss something so personal and so uh, heart-wrenching and so forth. Tell me, Lindsay, where are you at? What? How have you been feeling lately? What's going on inside of you?
2: The scary part is that I'm content. And that scares me. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of chaos in our relationship to begin with. And so we have kind of fallen back into, I just, I have the man that I wanted, that I thought I had. But do I? I don't know.
1: Okay, the fear then in saying, do I have the man... Uh, the fear is that there's something else there. The fear is that he could do it again. What's the fear? Hmm.
2: I have a history of staying with bullshit because I know it. And I worry that this is the same pattern.
1: Ah. Okay. Let me ask you this. What is the reason that you stayed with bullshit? I understand, yes, you know it. But that implies to me there's a fear of... Not staying with it. What is the fear that if I walk away from bullshit, if I stand up and say, listen, this bullshit has changed. If it doesn't change, I'm fucking out. And if it doesn't change, or if somebody cheats or something, why do you stay when there's bullshit? What's the fear if you leave?
2: Well, then I'm alone. And. Uh-huh. And I act like I'm, I, I claim that I'm very strong and independent. And in theory I am, and I can do it on my own, but I don't want to, I, I want to have a partner and somebody that I can turn to and, you know, just my safe place to fall because I've never had that ever. And I thought it.
1: You've never had specifically in one sentence or less what is it you have never had
2: the feeling of absolute safety
1: the feeling of absolute safety and that was clearly ruptured in april right absolutely absolutely and so in your in the write up on you you had said we learned the scariest part the biggest mind fuck is that we learned about ourselves and about each other why was that the biggest mind fuck
2: because i learned things about colin that i didn't know And I didn't realize how deep they went.
1: And what is the single biggest thing that you learned about uh, Colin that you didn't know that mind-fucked you? What is the single biggest thing?
2: That although he can claim and even portray for three years that he is loyal to the bone, he can still step out, which tells me that anybody can step out.
1: So so this guy just basically uh, destabilized you. You've always wanted absolute certainty, absolute security, and that was just, it's like if there were four pillars to that foundation, it feels like three and a half of those pillars got knocked out or two of them or whatever, and yet you stayed. Now, there are some women and some men, and there's no right or wrong answer. Dude, you get the freedom to be yourself. Some people would say, oh, fuck that. What's Lindsay thinking? Man, somebody cheats on me. He wants to go do whatever. Fine. Go do it, buddy. I'm out of here. But you didn't do that. You chose to stay. What's the reason that you chose to stay? Is it because of what you said a minute ago that the alternative is I'm alone? No.
2: Uh, I left. I did leave. And we don't live together. And my intention was not to have anything to do with him ever again. I figured he was just like every other guy that had done this to me in the past. It was, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Can we just get over it? Stop talking about it. Let's move on. The difference is that this man went into intense therapy to figure out why he did what he did because he was so appalled with himself that he could have done that. And although that can be a manipulation tactic, I believe him.
1: Okay, fair enough. So that's keeping you in, in addition to what you said a bit ago, the reason that you've uh, always, you know, allowed people to treat you poorly or stayed in relationships or potentially even part of you staying in this one is the fear of being alone. Is that safe to say?
2: I have run. I, I did run too late.
1: But you're back in it.
2: Um, and I'm back in it now. Yeah, right. I am. Right,
1: and, and so... Okay, and I guess what I'm getting at is what percentage of you being back in it is because you are, in fact, afraid of being alone?
2: I want to say zero, but I know that that's not true. Uh, it's hard to answer that because I'm not looking at it as being back in it with him. I have chosen to live and he whether he's a part of it or not, and as long as I don't feel bad about what I'm doing and he doesn't make me feel badly about what I'm doing or what he's doing, I will continue. If it no longer serves me, that's
1: it. I think that's great. I love that attitude. I think it's great. Tune into how things feel to you. I I'm all for that. Uh, you did mention, though, before that in previous relationships, part of what drove you, a significant part of what drove you is the fear of being alone. Mm-hmm. And and did you do all the work after those relationships, before this relationship, such that, wow, I, I just no longer fear being alone? Is that fear completely gone? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so it's still there.
2: Not even one time did I work on myself after each time I just buried it and thought, well, I'm stronger now and I'll just learn from that mistake. But I didn't work on myself even once.
1: I I respect your honesty. And uh, the thing is very often, and this may not resonate with you. So you tell me if I'm full of shit or not. I don't, I don't mind being wrong. I don't need to be right. I just want to understand very often when someone fears being alone, it's not being alone in and of itself, you know, it's what happens inside of me when I am alone. And usually, what happens, the reason people fear being alone is because when I'm alone, and, and by alone, I mean when I'm not with someone when I don't have someone, then what happens is all those voices come rushing up from deep inside and they start churning and churning and churning in my brain. See, I'm no good. Nobody wants me. See, I'm unwantable. I'm such a loser. I'm no good. And those fucking voices and they start churning in our fucking brain like clothes in a clothes dryer that won't turn off, getting hotter and hotter. Very often, the reason people don't want to be alone is not because of what's happening outside of them, but because of what's happening inside of them. Now, is that does that remotely describe your experience, or is that not it at all?
2: I like solitude. I like being alone. But I think I like being alone if I have somebody to be alone with.
1: Yeah, I'm not talking about the alone of, geez, I'd like my afternoon alone, Or if you're spending time with someone or I have someone, you're not alone. I mean the alone of you're not in a relationship. You have no one in your life loving on you. That's the alone I'm talking about. So, and you had said before that in in the past, I feared being alone. Mm -hmm. And isn't the alone you're talking about in that case, the fear of I'm not in a relationship?
2: It was, and I, I was single and alone for three years. Before I met Colin, because I needed to learn to be by myself.
1: And, but didn't you say that in the past, you never worked to get over that stuff, that fear of being alone?
2: Mm -hmm. But I was still alone. I didn't work on myself and the trauma that happened because of it. But I learned to be by myself and not depend on anybody. It's the dependence, right?
1: Okay. Okay. Right, well, I'm, I'm not convinced it is the dependence. And so the, I, the question I'm asking is, what happens inside of you? What happens inside of you uh, in terms of your own voices about your own sense of worth if you're not in a relationship? Because for some people, if they don't have someone in their relationship, then those voices inside of them that have been there their entire lives, those voices start churning up. See, if somebody wants me, if somebody's in a relationship with me, see, okay, I'm wantable. See, I'm not a loser. See, I am good. But then, if that person walks out of the relationship, or if I kick them out of the relationship, then I'm alone. And those voices that I've always thought about myself, that I was taught about myself, see, I'm no good. See, nobody wants me. It's true. Just like my mom always said, or just like whatever, I'm such a loser. I'm no good. And so, what I'm getting at isn't whether or not there's a person there to sort of, you know, uh, you know, help pay the bills. I'm talking about the fear of what it says about me, what it says about you when someone is not there. What are the voices that go on inside of you when you're not in a relationship, when no one's right there with you, telling you they love you and wanting to be with you?
2: I have spent my entire life believing that I am unmemorable and insignificant. And so if I'm alone, it confirms that.
1: Exactly. And so then that would make, that would make total sense. When you say that, that makes total sense why in the past you have picked you know, guys who mistreated you or you have perhaps even allowed people to mistreat you or you stayed in relationships where someone was mistreating you or taking advantage of you because the fear of having your insignificance confirmed is so great and it's, it's so painful to have that message rising up inside that I need to hold on to anyone so that I don't have to face that voice from my past saying I'm insignificant. Does that uh, sound accurate or somewhat? Of, okay. All right. And so I guess what I'm asking in this case, if uh, you and Colin are not together, this guy that you thought was the one and part of you still thinks he is or could be, um, if you were to walk away from Colin, that voice is going to rise up again saying you're insignificant. And is would it be safe to say that somewhere in you, whether you are aware of it or not, that somewhere in you, that voice of I'm insignificant reared its ugly, fat fucking head in April when Colin cheated on you? It just confirmed your insignificance. See, I thought I mattered to this guy. turns out I'm insignificant, just like I've always thought.
2: The interesting thing is that this one was different. And I know, I think there's a lot of people that say that, you know, People who cheat are cheaters. And I was a believer of that myself. But I don't believe this was that kind of a thing. I think it was trauma-based.
1: Fair enough. and But I guess what I'm asking is is, you're saying it's trauma-based that drove him to do this, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm asking a different question, though. I'm asking, regardless of what the reasons were for him doing it, what I'm asking is how you received it. If the message you've been getting your entire life is that you're insignificant and that's the voice inside of you that has caused you to hold on to people so that you wouldn't feel that insignificance, I have to believe then when he cheats and you find out about it, that it made you feel insignificant.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: So it was a confirmation of the very voice you've spent your entire life running from, right? Mm -hmm. And so all that bullshit from your fucking childhood of being treated that way and taught that fucking horrific message All of that came roaring back into your fucking head because of what he did.
2: I was furious
1: (laughs) Understandably and you said I was furious how much furiousness is still there
2: The anger for the most part is gone. I mean it does rear a bit from time to time I am human but I have done a lot of work myself, and I can be objective about what has happened. Luckily for me, I can take the emotion out of it. But, I mean, it happens. You know, I, I, I get mad when I think about it. I mean, I thought about it lots last night, thinking about getting ready to talk to you about it. But it was
1: hard. What was the biggest fear when you're laying in bed last night thinking about coming on the show today? And by the way, we are so grateful that you came on and shared your story. And I mean that very seriously. Thank you. What was your biggest fear last night as you considered coming on to the show?
2: I am not big about talking about things openly like this. I bury it. And coming on, talking to you, and airing it out is hard again, I, I portray myself as very strong and, Mm. you know, it's, it's my ego. I like to talk to Colin about his ego. I've got my own and it's my inner ego telling me you're weak and I'm not weak. I know I'm not weak. So I'm sitting here.
1: I would agree with you, but isn't it true uh, that very often in life, and I think we all do it, but would it be safe to say that you have that uh, I por- you said the words I portray myself. portray is an interesting word. I sort yeah. of put it out there, create this sort of image uh that you know I'm you know strong. Very often we do that sometimes because we're mush on the inside.
2: Mm-hmm. that's me.
1: That's you, fair enough. I appreciate your honesty, yeah. I respect that and and so that would then explain why you're laying in bed last night, terrified to open up and you say it's so hard for you. Very often when something's hard for us, it's because we're afraid of something happening. And so what's the fear for you in opening up? That if I reveal who I am, whether it's on, on the badass counseling show with Sven, or whether it's in your relationship with Colin or whether it's talking with your best girlfriend or whatever it is, what is the fear? Why is it why is it you're so afraid of opening up? What is it you most fear happening? That if I reveal who I am or what I'm really feeling, what?
2: Uh, I'm going to be telling the world that I actually do need help and I can't do it on my own because I say Mm. that I can. But I I do need help. I do need help.
1: Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. And that's human. What is the fear in admitting that I'll need help when you've shown weakness in the past? And going way back, when you've shown weakness and that I can't do it on my own, and I don't know what to do and I'm confused and I'm scared, what is it that happened when you're a kid?
2: I'm a oh. burden. I'm a burden. Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: And who above, who above all else, who above all else conveyed to you that you are a burden, when you have needs, when you need help, when you have feelings?:
2: I think it started with my parents. Uh, And then interestingly enough, uh, and I'm learning a lot about this just in the past few months, but I I very much looked up to my sister whether I wanted to admit that or not, and she didn't want me. So any time I ask for help, then that takes away from what they need to give her, and then now she's upset with me. Do you see, like, there's trauma there? Uh, and then, so start started with my parents and then, you know, my sister. But then it's also, you know, abusive relationships. I was in a very abusive relationship for 10 years.
1: Right. And the and anything after the parents is confirming the message <laughs> the parents sent. It's either yeah. confirming or going against the message Karen sent, uh, that the parents sent. Excuse me, Karen is in the booth. And uh, she was saying, we need to take a quick commercial, so... We'll be back with more Badass Counseling right after this. It took me to the place that scared me the most. The crap I've been running from my whole life. The stuff that's been dragging me down. And it literally began the healing. I feel lighter,
2: clearer, and just happier. Finally, some freaking peace.
1: You gotta get this book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. Or the do-it-yourself video courses. All at badasscounseling.com. It's totally killer stuff.
0: This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass.
1: And we are back with Lindsay. And Lindsay got cheated on. She thought she had finally found the guy, and she is still convinced that this guy is different. And he cheated, and we are going into it with Lindsay, and we're getting down and dirty and looking at what is it that keeps her. A lot of women would say, you're crazy, Lindsay. A lot of men who have been cheated on would say, you're crazy. Why would you stay in it with a guy who cheated on you? And what's your response to them? If you were to really boil it down to one sentence or less, what's your response? I would have,
2: too. It would have been my response. Get out of there. But I think when you see action taken to right the wrongs, there's something that comes of that. Somebody who wants to talk about it.
1: Versus just saying, hey, let's not talk about it. Didn't happen. Fuck you. Quit Quit bringing it up. Quit bringing it up. We're not talking about that. Go ahead. Yeah. Keep going. Can
2: you just get over it already? Can we just move on? talking about it uh he asks me he brings it up and I said he drove the bus you know even with this even with this the whole you know wanting to fix this you know it's him and so I you know I've agreed even I at the start I agreed to go along for the ride and but the progress that I'm seeing in him and the changes that I'm seeing in him and again I look at actions And the actions are on
1: right now. That's good. That's good. And action, you know, because sorry is bullshit without actions. Agreed. Persistent actions over time. And I tell you, I tell clients all the time, and as I wrote about in my book on cheating, that, uh, you know, it's the changes aren't going to happen overnight. And if you're taking somebody back too soon, it's because of the shit going on inside of you. Like, such as I'm afraid to be alone or what if I never have anyone or whatever it might be. And so there's no fucking rush. You know, I mean, that's what we tell, you know, young people, 19 or 23 or, or 24, you know, and we're, they're saying, oh, I want to get married right now, right now, right now. And we just, hey, say, hey, 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 slow down. There's no hurry. If it's real love, the person will be there tomorrow. They'll be there next year, right? And so then why can't we apply that, which I hear you doing, really? I think it's fantastic. Why can't we apply that to cheating situations and say, hey, what's the fucking rush, to snap back into a relationship. But so often the person who did the cheating is like, no, right now, right now, right now. And they're selling, 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 selling. Come on, buy it, buy it, buy it. Take me back, take me back. What's the fucking rush? It's fear.
2: So, and it's interesting because I don't, I don't know what Colin calls it. I don't know what I call this. It's my life. And I, you know, Anybody that says, I don't want to put a label on it, that's a red flag. But in saying that, I'm, I'm on my own. I'm living my life. I'm going to work. And I like spending time with him. And I like sending him home at the end of the night, too. You know, I need my space. And I won't live with him. I won't make that commitment. Because at this point, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. So I will keep my distance and my guard is up.
1: Smart. And the truth is, until it feels right to you, what the fuck? You got no fucking pressure to act. Fuck that shit. What, what's the rush? You're 43. What's the fucking rush? Let's say you live for another 50 years. What's the hurry? What's another six months? What's another year? What's another year and a half? Um, and so uh, I want to get back to this notion of insignificance and that it was conveyed to you by your parents. And that's where everything starts. That's I don't know if you've read in my book or not, uh, but one of the things I talk about is when we're children, we are wet cement. We are wet cement, and whatever messages you know you press in, like when the men and women are laying the sidewalk out in front of your house, and they make it all nice and fucking smooth and it's perfect. Then when it's time to go home for dinner, that you know that yeah exactly they put you know they'll they'll put. the tape around it so all the little peckerhead kids in the neighborhood won't go walking across with their feet or press their hand in there right with a stick you know uh tommy is a fink or whatever well of course when they go home all the peckerhead kids come out and they walk in and press their hands in it and say right tommy is a fink right and those messages harden and i guess i'm wondering what was the message that got pressed into you if you grew up and have lived your life believing that you are insignificant? My question is, how was that message that got pressed into the cement of your soul? How was it conveyed? Was there an explicit message? Were there explicit messages? Or how did you grow to believe as a result of uh, w- way back to the very beginning by your parents, people whose job it is to fucking love you, how was it conveyed that you are, that you are insignificant?
2: Well, I think there's lots of people that are my age that would agree that being a turnkey kid, um, we, uh, we didn't have a lot of supervision. Fair enough. But, it, you know, we were neglected. And so when there's no care, you know, and I mean, my mother will, would be horrified to know that I am saying these things and she would deny it to this day. But we didn't have any supervision. You know, as long as we were home at the end of the night, that's really all they cared about.
1: So your parents, if I'm hearing you correctly then, for much of your life then, neither of your parents, the the crime, the crime, way the message was committed, the crime that was committed, uh, the way the message was conveyed was they weren't there for you. They weren't around you. They didn't want to spend time with you. They simply weren't there. They were absent. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yes, and I was asked to leave at 15.00.
1: Oh, and uh, mm-hmm. so I have to ask, you were asked to leave your house by mother or by father or by both?
2: Well, so my mom and dad divorced uh, in grade five, and my mom married my stepdad, who I actually have a very good relationship with now, but he and I didn't get along. And so we didn't get along. I We caused, you know, chaos in the house a bit, and so I believe it was— because of his discomfort that my mother asked me to leave.
1: Ah, so he wants you to leave and your mother basically says, she turns her back on you. She chooses her husband over you.
2: And and their new baby. That's right.
1: Oh, and the new baby. That's
2: right. So again, I'm insignificant and a burden. So you need to go now. So I left.
1: Was the message conveyed to you prior to that that even before that, I mean, that just drove the fucking nail in the coffin, I would think. But it sounds like when you're talking about latchkey and so forth, and parents not around, it's conveying the message you're not significant. And then this thing happens, and it's like, boom, your mom. I, mean, I have to believe that you felt betrayed by your own mother.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and the underlying message that you aren't significant—that even your own mother wouldn't stick up for you—and would it be reasonable? Would it be reasonable to assume that the reason that you were acting out was in part? That you weren't happy with how you were being treated, or that you were wanting, you know, your mom's attention or something. What? What? Looking back on it, what do you think the reason is that you were acting out?
2: I wasn't a problem kid. I was home by curfew. I didn't want to. They were Lutheran. Uh, I was baptized Catholic. I was being difficult. They decided that they were going to start going to church, and I said, "That's fine. If we're going to church, then you can drop me off at my church." and you can go to your church. I recognize I was being difficult, uh, but that was my position. You want me to go and be in church, then I'll go to church.
1: What was the reason you wanted to do that?
2: No, I didn't want to go to church at all.
1: I Ah, didn't want to be woken
2: up on Sunday morning, and they were Lutheran, and I was Catholic, and I said, if you're making me go to church on Sunday morning, you will take me to my church.
1: Gotcha. And so it's not necessarily that you wanted to go to your church. You just didn't want to go to church at all. And so that was the fundamental reason that they threw you out of the house?
2: Pretty much, yes.
1: Wow. Wow. Okay. And so what we're we're tracking, and I I want you to confirm or deny, because I just want to understand, what we're basically tracking is since you were a kid, you've gotten the message of, I'm insignificant, I'm not important. And that has tracked then through pretty much all of your life. Most of your relationships confirmed by your sister, confirmed by your mother when she told you to leave the fucking house. All of these things have led to this grand feeling of insignificance. And uh, would it be safe to say then that in your relationships, when you feel insignificant, insignificant, and feeling like you're not important, you don't matter? Uh, did does it also was there has there also been in your life a feeling of I'm not wanted, I'm not at all. Is it, is that part of it as well?
2: Absolutely. Of course it goes hand in hand.
1: Sure. I just wanted to confirm. I just want to make mm-hmm. sure. Um, and, and so, um, just is like, so part of it, what has to be, uh, addressed that I believe very much. And as a cornerstone of my work is that we have to go back and find the origins of these messages. And not only that, but we have to identify the feelings then that we feel towards them. And we can go. We could go into that right now, and that's really where the healing is. It's back there. That's where the problem started. That's where the solution is found. That with your husband, or excuse me, with your fiance, ex fiance, there is there are deep issues that go back all the way, and that's clearly what's operating here with you as well. That fear of feeling insignificant and so forth. But you weren't the one who cheated. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit here, and let me ask you this question, Lindsay. Um, so uh, he cheats in April. What, just out of curiosity, what was your sex life like prior to the cheating in April?
2: Uh, I mean, people would call it healthy. It was more than healthy.
1: Oh, more than healthy. I I have to hear this.
2: It was just, we, we had, it, it it was so much, Sven. There was so much. And I mean, I, I, it was fun. I mean, we had a really, really good se- sex life, which is why it shocked me that it happened. There was no reason for it to, you know, for him to step out because he wasn't getting any. It was healthy. Uh, he was enjoying himself. I was enjoying myself. Which I'm sure there's a lot of women that don't say that and mean it, but mm. I am meaning it. Right. You know, it it was phenomenal.
1: And when you say more than healthy, I, I just out of curiosity, was there a high frequency of sex yes. and 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 uh... Okay, and just out of curiosity, how often did you guys have sex?
2: At least once daily. At, At least.
1: least, right on, right on. Oh, so sometimes more, as high Plus. as what?
2: On good days, it could have been, you know, a three.
1: Oh, that's awesome. God bless you.
2: If we're not talking about oral as well. I mean, it was it was great. We've had it was oh, like yes, so, yes. So
1: the oral would be even on top of the like three.
2: Correct, sir. What's that? Yes.
1: Okay. Um, And so just let me ask you, what is it that you feel when you have sex for you personally, apart from the orgasm and and all that, but in terms of feelings, what does sex make you feel? And everybody's different. There's no right or wrong answer. I'm just curious what your experience is.
2: The closeness, the bond that you... People can have sex with anybody, but there's a difference in, you know, the sex that you have with a random person and the sex that you're having with your partner. And that is a huge okay. way to connect. You know, and the it's just it's super important.
1: Fair. Totally fair. Yeah, no, no, no. That's totally legit. You feel the closeness and you feel the bond. And when you feel that closeness and when you feel that bond does it make you feel safe? Does it make you feel wanted? Does it make you feel important?
2: Significant, yes. Of course it does.
1: Fair enough. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. So then if someone's been operating at a deficit their entire life in terms of not feeling significant, not feeling safe, not feeling wanted, and they come into a situation where someone wants them three times a day four times a day add the oral on top five six whatever that that feels fucking good and i'm not just talking about how it feels the actual sexual side of it i mean the emotions that go with it that you feel significant you feel important that closeness makes you feel like this is different this isn't just sex this is real closeness this is a real bond this person actually fucking wants me for who i am safe to say absolutely so if you've been operating at that deficit your whole life that one of the core beliefs one of the viruses infecting the operating system of the computer that is you, if one of those viruses was, I don't matter, I'm insignificant, then if you feel significant through bonded, close, sexual experience, wouldn't it make sense that you would want more of it and more of it and more of it? And uh, to the degree you can state would it be safe to say that you're you're not just the one who wants it that your uh, ex-fiance or boyfriend or whatever you guys are calling each other that 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 he wants that too that it makes him feel something deep like that as well to the best of your knowledge would that be a safe thing to say
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes
1: so then uh I want to ask you next about then this exact thing, but before I do, much more to come right after this short break.
0: Are you finally ready to turn your life around, finally get the clarity, happiness and sense of purpose you've been waiting for your whole life? Then go to badasscounseling.com now and get the international best-selling book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. It changed my life. It'll change yours. What's the badass got next?
1: We are back with Lindsay, and Lindsay and I are talking about the role of significance in her sex life. And Lindsay has shared with us that uh, she and Colin would have sex at least three times a day uh, if you add in oral sex. If you include that, it could be, uh, you know... Up the numbers even higher and so forth. And we were talking about the correlation of sex and feeling significant, the correlation of sex and feeling wanted and that those feelings of feeling unwanted, feeling insignificant, feeling like I don't matter, go all the way the fuck back. So it's like like you came out of childhood and rather than your love cup being full and having been filled by the people whose job it is to fill your fucking love cup, make you feel loved, you came out feeling not just empty but like somebody poked a fucking hole in it Feeling very unwanted. You're 15 years old. Your mom says, get the fuck out at your sort of uh, stepfather's bidding. And uh, so you've gone your whole life. Is this accurate? I don't want to put words in your mouth. You've gone your whole life feeling in fucking significant with an empty fucking love cup, right? Absolutely. Right. And there is also, I have to believe there's also a feeling of significance when someone actually gives a shit enough to want to talk about the problems. Is willing to admit their fault, go deeper into what is driving their faults, and change their actions. And you've said that's what you've been experiencing with Colin. Is that correct?
2: Yes, and the only reason why I'm still here.
1: And that makes total sense. And I respect you for protecting your boundaries. I really do. So let me ask you this. Um, Is it possible that what you and Colin most need is to go back individually? I'm not saying together. As you yourself say, we ain't ready to fucking come back together, anything like that. We see each other, spend time together, whatever, but we're not back together, so to speak. But what you clearly need to do, I mean, you've basically said, I felt insignificant my whole life, and I am, even in my adult relationships, sex is a part of me trying to get my love cup filled. It's a very large part of me trying to get my love cup filled, basically, and feel significant. Is that safe to say?
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so then it, it would it would stand to reason that, in a way, that puts a lot of pressure on sex. That you're relying largely on sex to fill a cup that, in, in the past, would have been filled by those feelings of significance, would have been filled by family, would have been filled by friends, would have been filled by uh, career and feeling uh, needed and significant and important in your work and so forth. And would it be safe to say that, at present, and maybe this isn't the case, but at present, a lot of pressure is put on sex to fill the needs that were formerly filled by all these other things or should have been filled by all these other things. Is that safe to say that there's a lot of emphasis on sex to fill a cup?
2: In this relationship, because I think it changes within each relationship. This relationship, uh, it's what I thought he needed. And so because I thought that's what he needed and I provided that, now I'm doing exactly what he needs. Now I'm significant and Ah. I have purpose.
1: So you're trying to meet his needs. And, uh, we talked Colin and, uh, he's wanting to meet your needs because then he feels wanted and he feels important. So in a way you're both trying to love on each other so that then you'll feel loved by that person and feel significant and feel like you deserve the love that you're receiving from the other person and so forth.
2: Now, do you know why I called it a mind fuck?
1: <laughs> yeah. And do you know why I am saying that the real solution is not found in the relationship and the real problem isn't in the relationship? That both of you are operating off of core beliefs that you were taught as children. And you're trying to solve those core beliefs in the, rela- in the relationship when the way you solve those core belief problems is by going back and exploring that. That's why I wrote the book. There's holding my love cup. That's why I do all of this. Is It's going back there. Because clearly one of the core beliefs and perhaps the most powerful one in your life is that you don't matter. You're insignificant. And that's the problem that's been driving the equation of your life this entire fucking time. 43 years. Do you see the correlation? Mm, I do. Yeah. Um, what do you think needs to happen for you and I'm not pushing towards a solution. I love the fact that you're just holding off and going at your own fucking speed. And he's doing what he needs to do. You're doing what you need to do. But for you, what do you think is the single biggest hurdle inside of you that needs to be cleared in order for there to be resolution? And I don't necessarily mean getting back together. I mean either getting back together or or moving the fuck on with your life. And maybe the way to ask the question is, what is the single great unanswered question still inside of you regarding your relationship with Colin and this cheating that he did against you?
2: Because I didn't ever expect him to do it in the first place. I fear that the work is being done now, but we get comfortable, do we not? And I worry that as we get comfortable, I'm just setting myself up to go through this all over again. And it's just me continuing the pattern that I've always lived.
1: And the pattern is what?
2: Staying when I should go, not knowing when to end it.
1: And so what would have to, what would you have to see to cause you to stay in it or to move further into this relationship? What would you need to see or experience
2: well, I need him to continue to be able to talk about it. If I feel like I need to talk about it, and I feel like I need him to talk about his own feelings about it with me, the communication is huge. If we don't have communication, we don't have anything. Um, and action and time. I mean, I need time. I have to get. I have to heal from this, and I. I won't say get over this because that's the wrong. Wording. I need yep. to heal myself, and that takes time. And I don't know how long it will take me. And I don't know if the trust will ever come back.
1: Yeah, and and I actually I think you're spot on uh, in saying that that it does take time, and I don't know if it'll come back. And you're not forcing it. Far too many people, when they get in this situation, you know, the other person sounds like you've been there yourself before in previous relationships. The other person is begging, and oh, I've changed, and all that bullshit. And there's pressure. There's pressure to, you know, sort of get you back in the relationship, get it back the way it was. And I, from what I'm hearing you saying, Colin's not pressuring you to get back into the relationship. Is that safe to say?
2: It is. He's allowing me to go at my own pace, and he will go at his.
1: Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I think that's really, really smart. Um, and and as I said, I said it to Colin, and I'll say it to you. And that is, each of you has to go back into the origin of this. The origin of this problem is not this relationship. Yes, it manifested in this relationship and he's still fucking responsible for what he did. I'm in no way exonerating his behavior. Sorry, you just don't do that shit. You just don't, no excuse, it's bullshit, fuck off. Right, but the, the problem with Colin, ain't this relationship, it's his shit way back there. The problem in your life that cause it has caused you in the past to stay with guys in this bullshit and so forth is stuff we talked about today. You're feeling insignificant. You had you stated you have abandonment issues. Well, what happens in abandonment? Then I feel insignificant again. It's not being an abandoned, abandoned in and of itself. It's what goes on inside of me and what goes on inside of me is see, I suck. See, I'm no good. I'm alone again. I'm insignificant. And we can heal that, we can actually solve that, we can actually patch the love cup, we can actually refill what wasn't put in by mom and dad. With that, that feeling of, of of insignificance can be healed. That's where you guys gotta go in your therapy, in your work, in my own book, there's a hole in my love cup. That's why I wrote the fucking book. And, and you can do it, this is not an unsolvable situation. And the simple fact of the matter is, the more you heal you of that primary message of your life that I am insignificant, I don't matter. The more you heal that, the less you're afraid of what might happen with a man, the less you're afraid of what might happen regarding family, regarding friends, whatever, because now I've healed me and I'm I'm not vulnerable. I don't have to put on the bravado, I'm tough, I'm tough, because my inner self isn't soft mush anymore. My inner self... I've actually healed my inner self. And we heal it by going back into that stuff, finding the origins. But also what I'm going to encourage you to do in your own work with yourself is not just uh, look at the events, the memories that happen. If you have a memory, we also have emotional charges attached to those memories, feelings. So you talk about the message of your parents, your mom throwing you out. There are feelings that went along with that. And the more you open up that vault that you put all those fucking feelings and you've been locking down your feelings your whole life. You said so yourself. You hate talking about feelings. It's uncomfortable, et cetera, which means you've been doing it your whole fucking life. The more you get that out, the more you get that out, the more you get that out, especially on the highly charged memories. The more you get it out, the more your anxiety level goes. The less you're living in fear, the more you finally begin to relax in life. Does that make any sense?
2: It does. Yes. You're good. You're very good.
1: (laughs) I didn't do a damn thing. You did the work. You had the courage to go deep and look at your stuff here. I applaud you there, Lindsay.
2: Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. When you're told that your feelings don't matter and then you're told your feelings do, it's tough to then say the feelings. So thank you. for.
1: Oh, yeah. No, and and I mean it very sincerely. You were great and the and this is but this is the solution to life is getting out all those feelings, unlocking the vault. You've probably heard it me say it before and you know, if you if you follow me at all, but one of the great sayings is from my all time favorite author, Joseph Campbell, the cave you most fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And the treasure you seek, you think it's the relationship. That's residue from the treasure of finally loving yourself and believing yourself to be significant. And no, you know what? It doesn't matter what my jackass mom and dad said. I actually like me. I am significant. And we can't force that. We have to get all the pain out first. And then it just bubble bubbles up naturally. So I want to thank you so much, Lindsay. You've been an amazing guest. It's really been great having you on the show. I'm sincerely, on behalf of the team, we truly, we're so grateful you came on the show. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: All right. And this has been another episode of The Badass Counseling Show. Thank you for tuning in.
0: The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of The Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer Sven Erlinson. Original music by Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.